0: Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Quite frankly, I get most of my news from you. Joan Esposito. Y'all ready for this? On WCPT 820.
1: It's a pleasure to be here on the Joan Esposito Show. Tourie writer in for Joan, who has the day off today. Oh, my gosh. Gee, there's just nothing to talk about. Just nothing. Just what? Nothing happening. Uh, Ahem. Do you know where to begin? I mean, do you when you sit down to dinner tonight, assuming you have somebody sitting across that table from you, where will you begin? So much. Some good news out of Springfield. We've got two new gun laws. The big attention-getting one is the um assault weapons ban. That's heading to the state senate. They had a late-night vote in the Illinois House, but interestingly, There's an education component to one of the laws that's going through. It's gun safe storage instruction. It's going to be included with state safety education curriculum, like auto safety, traffic rules, consequences of alcohol for all grades. And I think that this safe storage education will make a huge difference. And who can argue, really? And who who could possibly say, you know what, please don't tell my kid that if you find a gun lying around the house, just point it to see if it's loaded. Who, who's going to object to that? So there's some good news. And I typically do not discuss gun legislation because... Um, in my opinion almost nobody's mind is changed unless you or someone you love is shot so we'll just leave it at that but i will say that it's been a, it's been a nice effort across we they even had one republican vote for this so good <laughs> one i'll take one now speaking of taking one in washington dc meanwhile we are experiencing uh, something we've never seen before in the Congress. I'll just give this a minute to sink in. Oh, yep. Still at it. They are still at it. Thank you, Lady B. Um, at the beginning of the week, at the beginning of the week, when I was told that there was um a need for me to come and sit in for Joan on Friday, I thought, well, we'll have a new speaker of the House. And I jokingly, because I figured it would take them more than the first vote, I jokingly put up on my social media, which, by the way, is at Tori Rider on his Muskinesses site. I'm still there. And you can find me on Facebook and occasionally on Instagram, but mostly Twitter and Facebook at Turi, T U R I, writer, R Y D E R. You can scroll back and see that at the beginning of the week, I jokingly said, Yeah, they're probably still going to be at it when I fill in for Joan on Friday. I was joking. I was kidding. I didn't even imagine for a second that this party would be so out to lunch. Well, some of them are out to lunch. The others are eating, I don't know, magic mushrooms. I have no idea what. But, but as a loyal and loving Democrat and patriot, can I just say this is hilarious? I am having the best time. Oh, yeah. The party of strength. Oh, the party of discipline. The party. Of, are you kidding me? You know, I think the best part about this is after years of watching the Democratic Party just shoot itself in the foot over and over. It's my party. I love it. But um, a lot of times, you know, we're kind of like that Thanksgiving dinner with the wacky uncle. You you just sort of you have to invite them. But when he starts talking. Everybody just starts ladling gravy onto their mashed potatoes and tries not to listen. A lot of times that was my party. And now it's the other team. So all together now, just take a moment. Ha ha, ha ha, ha ha. <laughs> oh, does it make me happy? And when, when our very own Congresswoman Kelly brought in, with Jan Schakowsky, brought in our. It, this was interesting. They brought Garrett's popcorn, and that was fascinating because I'm a grader's girl, all made here. So it's all good, as they say. And it is all good. If I'd gotten up just a little bit earlier, I could have brought popcorn in for everybody. You would have heard this sound on the air today. So happy. To watch our delegation. We were accused of drinking. Did you hear this? One of the congresswomen, some Republican congresswoman, I can't remember her name because I'm terrible with names, <coughs> accused. <coughs> Goodness, my cough button is still not working. That's embarrassing. Uh, she accused the Democrats of drinking. Ah. Uh, I just say to the Republicans, if the Democrats are drinking, you should maybe take a clue. Maybe if y'all started drinking over on your side of the aisle, things would be going a little better right now. Although, I don't know, Lauren Boebert with a gun and a drink, that's probably not wise. Oh, it's been hilarious. Kevin McCarthy, has there ever been a better example of an entitled white guy? in your life have you ever seen anyone who just no this no this is mine this is mine I, I deserve it and so they're negotiating they're negotiating rule changes that basically are making a sieve out of the rules it'd be kind of like it'd be kind of like if you had to kennel your dog but the spaces between the staves of the kennel were big enough for a great Dane to go through it'd be like that By the time they're through negotiating and working out compromises, essentially, if Lauren Lauren Boebert has a bad cup of coffee, they can vote the speaker out. I can't wait. I can't wait. It's going to be a beautiful thing because the Democrats will have gotten more done in two years then the entire Trump administration and the next two years, except for the judge thing, that bothers me still. But we won't go there right now. I'm just going to conveniently like edit out the part about the Supreme Court because that that's going to break my heart if I even think about it for two seconds. So we're just going to we're just going to forget about that little judicial nuclear weapon lobbied at the rest of us by the Trump administration. But in a sense, essentially. They're going to be, this is going to go on in some form or other. What you're seeing right now on the Republican side of the House of Representatives, this is going to go on for the next two years. And people are going to figure out exactly how important their government is to them. Now it's not the same as when under Newt Gingrich they shut a bunch of stuff down when they shut down the whole government, and then people discovered, lo and behold, even the people who I hate the government, they discovered that they needed the government. They needed it for all kinds of things. I love it. These people who say i am the less government I'm for small, I want to shrink government and blow it away. Really? Okay then. Planning to get out there and plow your own highway, I suppose. Kitchen catches fire. Just keep throwing stuff on it till you put it out. Need a book from the library? Well, those are already shutting down. There are so many things that the government does for you. And the thing about it is you never know which thing you're going to need. It's kind of a government roulette thing. You think, we're young, we're healthy, we're not going to have... Bingo, you have a kid who has special needs. Guess what? There are government services available for that kid. How do I know? I was one of those mothers who needed those services. So, I'm glad I never said... Here's what I tell myself. when When I've got a government in power that's spending money in ways I don't like, and a new fighter bomber for your mom, that kind of government... I just tell myself that my taxes are paying for social services, libraries, county hospitals, and I feel better. I feel better. But right now, it's not quite like shutting the government down, but it'll get there because eventually they're going to have to approve a budget. (laughs) Right now, they couldn't approve what they want on a tuna sandwich, these people. Seriously, if, if they hate Kevin McCarthy so much that if Kevin McCarthy tried to curry favor by ordering lunch for everybody, it would take them another week to figure out what they all want on their sandwiches. They don't even know. The hilarious part is that these obstructionists, I think now we're down to uh, seven of them, six of them. The six of them who are still, I'm not voting for Kevin. I'm not voting. I'm not not voting for Kevin. Well, good for you. So got anything else? Anything else for the American people other than that you hate Kevin McCarthy? Anything? Any policy? Nope, nothing. They got nothing. They never did have anything. This is all they've got. Hatred and spleen. Now I'm no fan of Kevin McCarthy, really. And all of the, you know, any other, any other normal guy, I think, would have said, okay, well, let's find somebody else we can both agree on. And the awful part of this is that eventually, I believe, and you can make, make a note of this, Tory Ryder said on January 6th, eventually he will prevail. He will. And it's going to be. Awful because it's like when your kid throws a temper tantrum in the supermarket and you give in. You don't want to do. You don't want to. But to be fair, they will have cut so many holes out of the power of the speaker of the house that it it will be a speaker a week. Who's the speaker this week? Maybe we should have some more circus music, Lady B. Who's the speaker this week? That's right. It's time for the Republican Fun Show. Who's the speaker? Because what is it, like one person now can say we don't like him? Can you imagine? I mean, make it personal for you. Have you ever worked for a boss who was just a complete dictator? She or he threatened your job on a regular basis. Anytime you did anything that this boss of yours didn't like, you thought, you know what? I might get fired for this. I might actually. And that, by the way, can give you an ulcer and make you really sick. And I will tell you how I know I had a boss like that once. It didn't help that he was completely coked out most of the time. But I think every time he spoke to me and every memo he sent to me and every call that he made to me, which was always in the middle of when I was asleep because I worked odd hours, every closing, you know how people have a signature closing line? Famous people have like a a slogan. His slogan was, and if you don't want to do it, we'll hire somebody who does. You work for somebody like that for a while you you actually physically get sick. The whole repu- – Kevin McCarthy, for starters, is going to be very, very – I don't want to be his personal physician right now. His blood pressure. Every day he goes into work if he wins, when he wins. And every day he's going to go in there and go to himself as he's driving in. He's going to look in the rearview mirror and go – Please don't let Lauren Bobert be angry at me. Please please don't let me peeve Lauren Bobert today. Every day. He's going to have to do that every day and all the rest of them too. Scully, all of them. What are they? What are we down to now? Rosendale? Eli Crane? Arizona, for some strange reason, has sent a snootful of these people to D.C., I don't know. Maybe it's that they don't drink enough water. Your thoughts, your take on the strange chaos. That's a hashtag now, Kevin Chaos. It is, I'm not making it up. Go to tw- Kevin Chaos is what they're calling it. Uh, Please feel free to join me, 773-763-WCPT. You can text at that very same number, 773-763-9278. I'm Turi Ryder, in for Joan Esposito, where facts matter.
2: This is WCPT 820, where facts matter.
0: This is Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820.
1: It's the Joan Esposito Show. I'm Tori Ryder in for Joan Esposito. That's Tori with you, Ryder Like the Truck. You can find me on Facebook and Twitter also at that. And yeah, that thing that also comes up, that's my book. It's fun. You'll read all about that guy I worked for with the little problem who ended every memo as, and if you don't want to do it, we'll find someone who can. That's going to be Kevin McCarthy's life now. What's your take on what his world will be like if and when he wins? Or do you actually think that he may not make it? What are they up now, the 13th vote that he just lost? Mm-hmm. The 13th vote. Where's the part where you're on the playground and and you don't, you don't want to play with the people who don't want to play with you. Where's that part? And by the way, can I just say, if you if you wanted to have some fun, where, where, where would be the most fun place you could be right now? That's right. Nancy Pelosi's house. Most fun you could possibly have. You would have at Nancy Pelosi's house. She's got to be laughing herself silly. Let's go to Robert in Rogers Park. Welcome to WCPT. You're on Maturi. Hello. Why am I not? Can you hear me? Hi. Yes. Hello. Hello. Oh, hey. Enjoying this. I. You know what? A moment
3: ago, you you said that perhaps he. You know, there's a sense of uh, humiliation. I mean, I don't think so. I don't think he's. I think he's driving to work. I mean, I hope he is humiliated. I mean, certainly is. But listen, this guy's a sociopath. He's, in a, he, he's wanted this job for so long. The Freud in this, it's, it's at the utmost top level. It's the highest grade entertainment. And, man, am I enjoying it. I totally agree with you with uh, Pelosi. Sorry, I'm driving right now. And that is the place to be, isn't it? Yeah,
1: I I think yeah, she should right. just, she should rent. Here, if you want to have some real fun, she should pitch up one of those party tents in front of Donald Trump's hotel. That's oh what she God. should do. I, just if rent. If we had somebody on the team that was able to coordinate
3: such an event, I mean, we could, could get so, there's so much here to work with. Saturday Night Live <laughs> this coming Saturday. I, I'm i I'm so looking forward to it. But yeah, the schadenfreude with this, it's at the highest, highest possible uh, level. And, uh, well, listen, everyone have a good week. <laughs> thank and, and thank you. Really thank you Friday.
1: so much, Robert. You know, it is. It is at the highest level. And and But here's the thing. You know, all the humor shows, the Colbert's, the Saturday Night Live's, in a way, they've got to be a little bit unhappy because – it's like it, it couldn't get any funnier than what's actually happening. What can you possibly say that's more outrageous than the sight of the clown car driving around the floor of the, of the United States Congress? It's just – and okay, just take a moment and work with me here. Imagine Kevin McCarthy dressed up and in full face paint as a clown. It works, doesn't it? It works really well. Yeah. He, this man, I mean, here's the awful part. Lauren Bovert and her contingent actually said some stuff I agree with. What did they say? They said, uh, and I'm paraphrasing only a little, Kevin McCarthy stands for nothing. He stands for Kevin McCarthy. He stands for, I want this job. Have you ever had to explain to uh, someone you know or had to explained to you that when you go for a job, you don't just say, I want this job. You tell people why you will benefit them or their company if they give you this job. At this point, I, I wouldn't let Kevin McCarthy sell lemonade in the Mojave Desert. He's got, none of them have anything. They're all empty vessels. Kevin McCarthy wants the job. Why? Because he feels he should have it. And by the way, let's scroll back to what the actual job involves. It involves organizing your party. That's like saying, I want to be a lifeguard and flunking your swimming test. How is he going to, how can he possibly organize his party how does that even work um join us 763 wcpt is the local part 773 the area code 773 763 9278 you can text us if you're at work and you're sneakily watching on your computer as vote after vote goes against kevin mccarthy and you're just people are wondering if maybe there's something wrong at your desk because you're just smiling a little too much you can text me jim in chicago welcome
4: Hi! Hi! How are you? Hey, you have a nice weekend. I, I was just thinking the Salem the Salem Radio Network has got 1,400 stations, and they're all piping the same tool today. They want to defund the federal government in the worst way. They want to bring the government to a, free, a scratchy screeching halt.
1: Well, we've insane. seen this before. This is Newt Gingrich and his little tax—what's the other guy? I forget his name—the anti-tax crowd and the Tea Party crowd. We've seen this before.
4: Yeah, yeah. It was 2011, they shut the government down, cost the Academy of fortune, and they intend to do the same thing as soon as they get uh, McCarthy probably over the wire next week sometime. And well, that's the first order of business is to defund the federal government.
1: Well, and, and you know what? Here's going to be interesting, Jim. If it takes them long enough— to confirm McCarthy and the government actually starts to malfunction. Maybe, just maybe, they'll figure out that they could use a government. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate your call. It reminds me, i, I um, my family's probably sick of this story, but um, now, now I'm really desperate for the cough button. Where the heck? <clears throat> nope. No cough button. Sorry, guys. You're just going to have to hear me. Um... It reminds me of a column in the Wall Street Journal a long time ago, back before, I believe, Rupert Murdoch bought the thing. And they used to—it was in the early days of the Tea Party, so maybe he did own it. But they, they had a middle column every day in the Wall Street Journal, which I used to read assiduously, and the middle column was their humor column. But in this case, they'd given it to some guy who was a retired sheriff from some southern state who was going to protest big government as part of some organized protest in Washington, D.C. And he was driving from... Alabama or wherever he lived to d c to take part in this protest and he talked about how much he he hated the government and how much they tax everything he owns and how they don 't do anything for anybody and At the end of the column um, they asked him about his retirement because he mentioned that he could take time now to to voice his cods on the Capitol steps because now he was retired. He had the time to devote. And they said, so what are you doing in your retirement? And he said, oh, I've got a government pension. And and he didn't even hear himself. The government he hated, the taxes he hated. It didn't even cross his mind that this government pension that he was using to support himself so he could go to Washington, D.C. and complain about the government was the government. Oh, oh. I can tell you something else. There is some kind of gun regulation. Like if you if you want to be sure that when you fire your gun, it doesn't explode in your hand. We have consumer safety laws. That's the government. The government does all kinds of things. You walk you you go shopping in another country that is a developing country, the global south. You're not walking into some supermarket. You're buying somebody's stuff off the street that could very well kill you. You know why the meat or the fish or the tofu that you buy in your local fresh produce market on the corner or Trader Joe's or Jewel, you know why it doesn't kill you? The government. So we will continue talking about we will continue talking about the the chaos, the clown show. That is happening in Washington, D.C., and I would love your thoughts about this spectacle as it unfolds. Maybe, just maybe, it actually pains your heart to see our government behaving in this way. There's part of me, there's a little part of me that thinks this is, if this really goes on for two years, this kind of behavior, we are all really in trouble. So if that's more your concern, I'd particularly like to hear from you. It's the Joan Esposito Show. I am Tory writer in for Joan on WCPT, where facts matter. It's 229. This is WCPT 820, where you can hear the Stephanie Miller Show every weekday, 8 to 11 a.m., because facts matter.
0: Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820.
1: It's 2.32. I am Turi Ryder in for Joan Esposito. That's Turi, T-U-R-I, Ryder, just like all those big yellow trucks. Um, They are voting now. If you've just joined us, we've been having some fun with the uh, congressional vote as of about Ten minutes ago, the House was voting on whether to adjourn. Still no speaker. <laughs> Still no speaker. Some fun Internet humor is coming out of it. I'll tell you my favorite one in a minute. Um, let's go to D in Montgomery. Hey, welcome. You're on WCPT. Hi, Tori. Hi. Hi.
4: Um- Real quick, I actually wanted to try and get a hold of Tom Hartman's program.
1: I can't help you with that. <laughs> so, I know. Yeah.
5: I'm, I'm honored to be on your program. Or on, uh, you know, it doesn't,
1: I have to tell you, it doesn't play well. It's like if you walk into a restaurant and go, I really wanted to eat at McDonald's over there, but I guess. Thanks a lot. No, no, my so now that we've started off on a really great note, what can I do for yes. you?
4: Well you know, I do I, I have a hypothetical question for you and, and Joan's audience.
1: Okay. Um, okay.
4: With am I'm I'm curious, and this has just struck my mind recently, with the, the events over January sixth last year. Yes. Uh, and the extent that, that some of the conservatives and I'm I consider myself one of them, the 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 extent that some of the conservatives took to try and overthrow the election I'm just curious, what was the end game? Like in a multiple universe that they succeeded, where would we be?
1: Well, they would have Trump back again and all the chaos that goes with that. And I think you've called attention to something uh, actually really important. The system held, but I don't think the system can hold indefinitely when it's under assault. Physically uh, and institutionally, I mean, everybody gave Barr the former Attorney General all this credit for finally, at what we call in broadcasting eleven fifty nine fifty nine, saying this is Hokum. This you can't do that. But he he waited until there was already so much damage, and it, it, it you can't just sort of leap in. Do you you remember, the? this is going to make sense in a minute, there was, I think it was the New York Marathon, Rosie somebody or other, who disappeared from the race and then showed up at the finish line and, and won until they figured out she'd taken the subway? Right. Right. We had a bunch of Republicans who ducked into the subway and were ready to jump out at the end going, look, we saved the day. Look, we're wonderful. And... Fortunately, there was a system in place to prevent people from from gaming the system, cheating the system, breaking the system. I have friends who are Republicans, lots of them. At my wedding, I went around to my with my new husband and pointed out all the Republicans at our wedding and he didn't know any Republicans. So he was kind of astonished. But I don't I don't even I can't even bring this up with them because. This is not their party. This is not who they were. They believed in the same things the Democrats believed in. They just had a different idea of how to achieve it.
5: Sure. Once upon a time.
1: Right. But that party is gone. And I actually, one of the last conversations I had with a dear, beloved friend of 40 years to whom I cannot speak since I started filling in for Joan. And he, you know, he, I knew that he had gone completely through the January sixth tunnel there, but one of the last conversations that we had was when he said, "Well, you know, we're going to get those rhinos and, and we're you know and we're going to throw them out." And and I said, "You know what? This was their party until four years ago. Imagine how they feel. You people show up, you you know Trumpanistas, and you want to throw them out of a party that they've loved and nurtured and cared about and supported and given money to for for." Hundred years or more. Imagine how they feel. It's not really your party; it's their party. I live it.
5: You you live it. Yeah, where does a responsible conservative like
1: myself go? I don't know. Where did you go? You're here. (laughs) <laughs> what well, what will you do? I think I might have just answered that question. <laughs> well, thank you for being a good sport and for calling WCPT John Esposito Show. Good speaking with you. I'm glad you tried again. We have um, space for your call here. Uh, I'm going to get to some of you folks pretty soon here, uh, but I'm curious to know what you make of this of this fracas. I'm going to check again. I don't know if they finally voted to adjourn. Just a moment. I'm checking for you because, you know, they're still voting. They're voting on a motion to adjourn. So even though Kevin McCarthy, by eviscerating the power of the Speaker's office, managed to sway 13 Republicans to, well, I don't know if you, I mean, that's the other thing. These people have said despicable things about him for four days. Do they think that on the fifth day, God will rest? Is that what they think? I mean, seriously, where is their politesse? I remember when the Democrats came to power with what was called the squad. AOC and Ilhan Omar, a bunch of other people, some of whom I really didn't agree with, about much, just let me make myself clear. I am a moderate Democrat. I am not. Although she's charming and beautiful, there's much about AOC's platform and the people who vote with with her in her small group that I, with which I disagree. But they came. Do you remember when they came to the Congress and I'm like we're going to get rid of Nancy Pelosi? And I thought to myself, you don't know Nancy Pelosi. You see how that worked out. Because there is something to being able to control your system. The people at the head of any organization are adroit. They're adept. They are experienced. They know all the little tricks. They know where the levers are. They know where the pressure points are. Nancy Pelosi never went to war with the quote, close quote, squad. She just quietly went about her business of making sure that they got some of what they wanted and understanding that they were not going to get all of what they wanted. Kevin McCarthy. Kevin McCarthy. Kevin McCarthy McCarthy is like. I've used this He's like the kid in the supermarket Throws himself on the floor Kicking, screaming You can't Kevin McCarthy Kevin McCarthy spent the first From November to a week ago On a big you can't make me tear You can't make me No I won't You can't make me You won't make me That was Kevin McCarthy's whole platform I'm going to be a speaker And you can't stop me Really now? Really now? So let's go to Roger in Oak Park. We had a Roger in Ro- The parks are calling tonight. All the parks. We need a Portage Park and a Jefferson Park. This is Chicago, darn it. Let's have all the parks. Roger, welcome. You're on WCPT.
3: Hey, hey, hey. Uh, you know, just enjoying the McCarthy meltdown. you got to <laughs> get on top of this. Get the t-shirts made. I mean, this is a. This is the very best. This is at the height. But listen, it's
1: January 6th. Yes, we're going to talk about that, okay. actually. We are you know, going to be talking about that. But I had to get this out of my system.
3: Oh, it, I've enjoying every second with you. I really am. It's the best. It's sad, but it's to be expected. They could have done a lot better. You know, uh, all they had to do is, um, like you said, Nancy, you know, the, the hidden prize in all of this is, is all
1: the crap that they've been talking about, Pelosi and look at her compared to this mess oh, oh I, I mean, mess. compared to this mess i I uh, sainthood maybe would be a good place for her. I don't even know if she weren't her age, I would say at this point, just make her president, just you know she's yeah, yeah. sharp yeah, she, she misses nothing yes. She's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. There's a certain kind of intelligence that comes with being able to, to run a, a, a fractious party, and she is the master of it. Thank you so much, Roger. Good to hear from you. Yeah. It's, um, it really does fill you with admiration for I, – I have to say I've spent – maybe part of the reason why you're feeling so elated today – Maybe part of the reason why, when you hear that they're voting to adjourn with no Speaker of the House on the Republican side of the aisle, maybe the reason that you feel like skipping, just going out and buying a cup of ice cream or some celebratory thing, whatever you do to celebrate. Maybe it's because for so long, the humiliation of having a party that contained so—let's that just— start with Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin, people like that. We just had to wear that hair shirt for so long now. And then there are people on the left, left side who I also have problems with. There's a congresswoman from California. If she retired, it would not break my heart. And from Minnesota, where I used to live and, and, and. But, uh, it's been hard. It's been hard to have this be my part to stand up tall and say, "I am proud of my party. We do good things. We may take a while to get there. We may make a little mess along. We're not neat. This is not a hotel room we're living in here. This is more like somebody's family room where someone forgot to pick up the bowl with the old popcorn." This this is not a this is not a sterile environment. The Democratic Party and our politics. We make a mess. We spill stuff. We st- have you ever worked in the kitchen with someone who's kind of klutzy? Whoops! Stepped on your... I'm sorry. Did I drop that? Big, I'll clean that like that. But when the cookies came out of the oven that the Democrats baked, they were really tasty cookies. We knew how to make tasty cookies. And then the Republicans would show up and screw it up. Ted Cruz... All the people who sued Obamacare and found like found like that little thread on the sweater that they could pull so that a lot of the southern states where people are poorest and sickest don't get the enhanced Medicare that they could get. Because of the Republicans. Because they screwed it up. We make good cookies and when we get our act together and we do it right. And then even the Republicans, nobody wanted to do away with Obamacare of the people who voted because really it helps people. It helps people. As like seriously, if you were in that horrible horrible storm in Buffalo last weekend, the one where dozens of people succumbed and passed away as a result, if someone offered to plow your driveway so that you could get out and go to the doctor, go to the market, go to your work, would you say, no, that's all right. I'm resilient. I'm going to shovel this entire eight feet of snow myself. You would not. You would welcome the help. Now, imagine your neighbor comes over, goes, oh, no, no, don't plow her driveway. She's resilient. She'll do it herself. That's what the Republican governors did to the poor, sick people of their states who were waiting for Obamacare and enhanced Medicare to show up and help them. They're like, no, no, our our citizens will shovel their, their driveways themselves, even though they're keeling over of heart attacks. Nope, nope, don't help them at all. Drives me crazy. More of your calls in a moment. 773-763-WCPT. I am Turi Ryder. It is Joan Esposito's show. We are Chicago's Progressive Talk.
2: You're listening to WCPT 820. Because facts matter. Attention, everyone. Don't
0: turn that dial. Joan Esposito. Live, local, and progressive. Returns right now on WCPT 820.
1: We are live, local, and progressive. I'm Turi Ryder, in for Joan. And just to prove it, we're going to talk to a caller from Florida. We're live, local, but but like the old, uh, old blue song goes, we're bad, we're nationwide. Rick, welcome. Hi, thank Hi. you. Thank you for calling WCPT.
4: Oh. Hi. Oh, well, thanks. It's great to be back on again. Um, my take on this is this. We really this isn't funny to me at all it's it's horrifying it's like having your 99 year old blind uncle driving a car as you're you're going down the highway and you know they're all over the street these republicans have no shame they're as the, as the rest of the world, from the, from New York, to, you read in the New York Times and the Chicago Tribune, L.A. Times, if, if my face was plastered across the front page and we're on their 13th vote, they have no shame that he can't get himself in there for the speakership. They have no shame when they tweet that space lasers are being focused on the forests of California.
1: Yeah, that is... So, they, they, but, but they voted these people back in. I mean, this is who they voted for at a certain point.
5: Well, well, yeah. Uh, yeah. But let me, let's talk about
4: that then, that, because that is a valid point. It is a fraction of the United States that vote these people in. Remember, we have a lot of gerrymandering. gerrymandering we do.
1: Happening. We do. And, yes, the, and sure. the beautiful Trump Supreme Court is going to make sure that it gets worse before it gets better. So I understand that it is distressing. And, and I thank you for your call, Rick. Good to have you with us. Let's get to some of these texts that you've sent. And the number here on uh, Joan Esposito's live local and progressive show is the same as the one you call on 773-763-9278. Uh, we've got here the GOP House Clown Show is all theater, gaslighting the American People they're showing us a preview of the next two years. I will not be disagreeing with that. Um, that 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 makes that there, no disagreement from the from the talk show host chair. Uh, Saturday Night Live will have plenty of material this week. Absolutely, no argument. Once again, um, let's see. Could I share a couple of things I disagree with AOC on? Well, I think her Green New Deal was was. Encouraging, but I think that it was a little too unrealistic so there's one thing: how about that That's one you asked you got it. I think that uh, we can't we can't just make gasoline illegal I'm paraphrasing her green New Deal but uh and she she often she bless her heart, you want to say bless her heart. Her heart's in the right place. and she's really smart and she's you know, she just needs she's kind of like, oh, this is gonna get me in so much trouble. She needs training. She's kind of like that beautiful dog you adopt that you know is gonna be a fierce protector one day and a loving companion and all that. but you just need to make sure that it knows not to pull too hard on the leash. There's a leash, darling, there is. She, you know, I will say this, there's not a democrat in congress who couldn't get an important lesson in how to use social media from AOC. She's the best at it I've seen in years. Years, I tell you. Uh, someone else Adam wrote, why does McCarthy have to answer to them? I'm sorry. What do you mean? Why does McCarthy have to? He can't. It's not. He can't just declare himself Speaker of the House. Although I'm sure he would like to. I'm sure that would probably please him to no end. That would that would make him so happy. Yes, it's good to be the king. I've just decided. Just decided. Doctor Dave is waiting for us. Let's go to him. Hello there. Welcome to WCPT. Thanks for calling.
5: Well, thanks for having me back. I used to host the cutting edge from two thousand
1: to two uh, seven to two Already. We don't need that. <laughs> I don't need. If you want to call and give a commercial, this is not the place. I I'm sorry, but no. Uh, what is it with people today? Like I tried to call the other guy's show. I used to host this guy's show. I don't know. no. Here you, be I'm gonna I'm gonna whoop the, the the be here now. This is the Zen show. Be here now. Be here with me and Lady B. Be here now. I'm checking to see if they voted to adjourn, by the way, so that you can exhale and know there was actually a full entire week. And by the way, it's not final until the voice votes are all counted and the gavel comes down. Yes. Yes, but guess what? They have not adjourned for the weekend. Are you ready for this? They have adjourned until 10 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. Yes, until 10 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. And I imagine that all the new House members, the just elected are probably like trying to explain to their children as they tuck them into their blanket sleepers and read them their goodnight stories exactly what is going on. And I would imagine that there are a lot of copies of Goodnight Moon or Duck for President. that are being wept, wept salty, bitter Republican tears onto their pages tonight. Because it's embarrassing. You, you, I get to say, you people, you people, you Republican people, you should be embarrassed. Mm-hmm. You chose this mess. Be careful what you ask for. Be careful when you send people to Congress who are proud of the fact that they never compromise. You know those people, I'll never compromise. And they think that that is a good way to behave. Perhaps your parents explained to you when you were a kid, you know, sweetheart, you may have strongly held beliefs, but we're going to have to get along with others. We're going to have to get along with others in this lifetime. And so you may need to learn to compromise. This is the kind of stuff they should have learned in kindergarten. It goes like this in kindergarten. Ginger has the Tonka truck. Sylvia wants to play with the Tonka truck. Ginger doesn't want to let go of the Tonka truck because she's having fun playing with it. Does Ginger get to say, well, I have the Tonka truck and you're never going to get to play with it? No, because the kindergarten teacher comes up and says, okay, Ginger, you definitely have the Tonka truck right now and the cement mixer. But how about in 10 minutes, you give the truck to Sylvia and Sylvia will give you the school bus that she's playing with. How does that sound? And then the answer is it better sound fair because it's fair. You're going to have to learn. You don't get to go through life without compromise. This, by the way, was one of my biggest problems with Donald Trump was all about winning, winning, winning. If all you care about is winning, you're not really winning. You're just not. We have some thoughts on Pelosi from Roosevelt. Welcome to WCPT. You're on the Joan Esposito Show with Tory Ryder. Hi.
5: Thank you. Thank you for taking my call. This is Roosevelt, by the way. I don't know. I don't
1: Got know it. Why. Got it. Mentioned it.
5: Okay. Funny you, funny you put it in the way you just did. And that's exactly my point. These people that are Trump supporters are exactly like Trump. They're adolescents. They they haven't matured yet. And I'll give you an example. Did you see the video of Bovert? She's actually giddy that the metal detector is off because if you remember correctly, you mentioned Pelosi and to your point and to add to your point, Remember you, you mentioned? Yeah,
1: she before. said she. So I think you're mentioning. I think you're referencing that um, Congresswoman Bobert said she was going to bring her gun onto the House floor, and Pelosi, I believe, find her.
5: Exactly, and, and and here's the thing. You me, you mentioned when uh, AOC came in and got they, were, they were, she was wanting to get rid of Pelosi, but you didn't mention the the two idiots on the opposite end, and that's Bobert and Trader Green.
1: Oh yeah, Marjorie Taylor, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. So, so do you remember when they came in? They don't want to wear a mask. Remember that. I do. They they didn't care. There was no compromising. That was not going to happen in their world. You have you have put it very well, Roosevelt. This is the party of we don't compromise and that's how we win. And I don't understand how anyone who voted for them didn't understand that they really meant it. They were just not going to compromise, even if they brought the House down around them, literally and figuratively. Thank you very much for calling WCPT. Good speaking with you. Coming up in a few minutes, we're going to switch gears a little bit. Um, I should probably give you a sneak sneak pre- preview of, of a lot of the things that are going on today. If you are a theater fan or even if you are not, there's an interesting sounding show coming to the Goodman Theater. Um, it is written by a playwright who frequently does politically oriented work and this is no exception but she makes it very personal in the forms of the in the ways that she tells the stories so you're going to meet playwright Christina Anderson in a moment because there's a show going up about the the ripple effects if you will show's called the ripple the wave that carried me home um the ripple effects of being a child of activists I think that's fascinating. I know a couple of those people, and I'm eager to speak with her about her show, and I think you're going to enjoy hearing about the show as well. It's 258 WCPD, Joan Esposito's show, Live Local and Progressive.
0: You're the only voice of reason on the radio. You give me hope. Having listened to you every day. Thank you for your clear insight. Always felt a little bit smarter. I listen to you every single day. I keep coming back to this station, and thank you for what you do. On WCPT 820, Chicago's Progressive Talk. Joan Esposito,
6: live, local, and progressive. The reason that I listen to you from the infamous other side, you will call a spade a spade, and if it's indefensible, you will not defend it. And you know what? I can respect that. I'm WCPT
0: 820.
1: It is Joan Esposito's show just about five minutes after three o'clock. I am tourie Ryder, in for Joan, live, local, and progressive. Although I'm more in the moderate middle of these things. But wherever you fall on the political spectrum, I think that um, just from what I've heard about it and and the, the topic that is addressed and knowing a little bit about her other work, I think you might enjoy heading off to The Goodman to see a show by uh, the playwright Christina Anderson. Ms. Anderson has, she's been writing, she's won like every award you could possibly win. I'm not going to name them all or she would probably be I don't know, embarrassed, and it would take all the time we have. But the show that she is currently putting up at the Goodman is called The Ripple, The Wave That Carried Me Home. I could describe it, but maybe, maybe uh it would be better if she did. Welcome, Christina Anderson. Thanks for joining us on WCPT. Yeah, Hello. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Well, we're glad you're here. Um, I was really interested to see the the political foundation of this play was activism in the family. At least that's what it seems to read from here. But would you like to describe it a little bit to folks who may be considering going out to see it?
7: Yeah, absolutely. Um, the play, uh, The Ripple of the Way That Carried Me Home, uh, is about a family Um Uh, And the play is set in a city called Beacon, Kansas. And um, the parents in this family are what I like to call aquatic activists. So from the time that they, um, the mother and father were teenagers, they were very committed to black folks knowing how to swim, learning how to swim, um, and having the joy of swimming in their lives. And over the course of um, their teenage years into their 20s, uh, the pools were segregated. And this couple uh, became activists in their city to make the pools integrated. Um, and to give access to everyone to swim wherever they want. Um, They have a daughter named Janice, who's the protagonist of the play. And in the present day of the play, she's a grown woman and we find out that she's estranged from her family, but we don't know why. She gets a phone call one day, and uh, it's someone from her hometown who asks her to speak at a naming ceremony where they're going to name an indoor pool in Beacon, Kansas, after her father, who has passed away. And so that request um, has Janice start to think about growing up in an activist house with activist parents, the sacrifices they made, uh, uh, the tribulations that they went through, and also the moments of joy. Um, And so in her kind of going back and looking at how she grew up in this um, in this environment, she starts to see her parents as the human beings um, that they were who were in this fight and not simply the parents who she felt uh, sometimes chose the movement over her.
1: Well, let's talk. I'm going to pause you there for a second. Cause, and by the way, I noticed that activism um, is underlies some of your other work. I'm thinking The Ashes Under Gate City that I believe had a... An activist component to it, if, if I'm correct. Um, yeah. as, as somebody who... Well, I'll just put my cards on the table. A friend of mine has uh, survived. I guess would be the way to to put it. Um, being raised in an activist family, her mother was close with Dolores Huerta. I don't know if you're familiar with the farm worker movement and Cesar Chavez and and that uh, that movement. Um, but her mother was so bound up in this activist movement that she essentially farmed her kid out to uh, to strangers to relatives was not a mother and i'm i'm wondering if you have a personal connection to the to the topic of activism as the generations pass um and and if so would you share it
7: yeah well you know i've always been interested um particularly in like black american history uh um, you know, just like um, over spans of time, and mm-hmm. in particularly generations. Um, you know, I, I didn't necessarily grow up with parents who were like marching in the streets, but I did have parents who were in their own ways, on their jobs, on factory floors, who were pushing for, you know, more break times or, you know, pushing for union work. Um, so it, it was more, um, not necessarily in these smaller ways, but uh, in these ways that weren't um, captured in media or in the public. Um so uh, so that's how I have a relationship um, to my family in that respect. Mm. But uh, just reading history, I've always been fascinated by the children of activists. Um, and, 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 you know, I have a very good friend who grew up in Oakland, and he mentioned his mother was a Black Panther. Uh-huh. And he mentioned growing up how uh you know some days he would wake up in the morning and he wasn't sure if he was going to meet his activist or his mother you know what i'm saying yes
1: i do um, i've i've yeah, heard these yeah. almost same words from my girlfriend she she yeah what she said to me was you know i'm so proud of the work that she did but it cost me a mother Yes. Yes. So yes. and and we needed those people. I mean the, the the family that you're describing is definitely significant work. That is that is the grist of what makes change and it happens Whether quickly or slowly, it's generational and and oftentimes, unfortunately, incremental. But what what made you decide to tell the story? Uh, Was it your friend in Oakland who, who was your entry point to this? Or was it the whole swimming idea? What was the point where you said this deserves a play?
7: Yeah. Well, um, uh, you know, when I uh, knew that I wanted to write about water in some respect, um, especially in relation to like black folks, um, I started doing a bunch of research and initially I was looking at environmental injustice. Um, and, you know, seeing what anything uh, smart sparked for me in terms of, like, creating the peace. And then I found a book called Contested Waters that looked at the history of public pools in America. Huh. And, you know, I I naively say, um, because I don't know how to swim. A lot of people in my family don't know how to swim. I'm from Kansas City, Kansas. And it never occurred to me that any kind of government policy um, would, would uh, like, play a part in me not knowing it not having access to pools. Um, So when I started to look more into the history, particularly like in Kansas and, um, you know, just uh, mostly in the Midwest, because I was
1: really interested in landlocked states with Mm -hmm. man-made pools. I'm I'm from Manhattan, Um, so the uh, the wrong Manhattan. (laughs) What my grandmother called the wrong Manhattan, Kansas. (laughs) Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um so I was
7: so struck by that history um and and it it just spoke to me. Uh and then I because I was so interested in um like the legacy of activism and the effects effect it has on families, uh I was really interested in seeing if I could craft a family drama um in this landscape of activism.
1: So, I have to ask you the obvious question. Are you interested in learning how to swim?
7: Uh, I know that's the question everybody asks. I'm sorry, it's you know, obvious, but I have to just ask you. <laughs> You know it. Um, you know I will say that it, it's gotten me more interested. I'm not necessarily afraid of the water, um, but you know it's just tricky. Like the older you get, to learn such a new
1: thing, it is hard. Um, um, I'm going to put more yeah. cards on the table. I paid my way for co- through college by waitressing and working at a boys' club as a lifeguard and swim instructor, and. Oh. Yeah, it was kind of a rough neighborhood of Boston um and with with the with the ignorance and pureness of heart I went everywhere at that time. It never occurred to me, you know, harm would come to me. No. So I was I was and I'm going to quote some of the kids I taught. That white lady who teaches swimming. So I, <laughs> so I'd show up and the kids were easy. They loved it. You know, kids naturally will take take to water, but I taught an older class. And what I can say about that is the joy of the people once they – forget, you know, swimming back and forth laps, just feeling like they weren't going to drown. That was a kind of a freedom of movement and space it, that yeah. the only way – I'm going to compare this to something really weird – Um when I first got a German Shepherd and felt like I, I lived in Oakland and felt like I could go anywhere anytime with my dog and and people who meant me harm would just stay away from me, it was that same kind of feeling of I can I can be free here, which I think a lot of women um Never mind color. I mean, women spend a lot of time thinking about, am I safe here? Is this okay here? Am I all right here? And I would yeah. imagine for these women that I was teaching that once they felt like I can be here and no harm will come to me, um, they it was joyful. Is there joy yeah. in the play? A lot of joy?
7: Uh yes, there is. There is joy in the play. Um and you know, I won't do any spoilers. Um, no, no
1: but, spoilers. Know, was, I'm going to go see yeah. it. Opens <laughs> on the 23rd, right? The 23rd is opening. Yeah. I will be there. But yes, joy. Yes. Please. Oh, yes.
7: Yeah, um yeah, but you know, I was very committed um to finding uh, the possibility in the moments of healing for this family uh, throughout the piece uh, and so and so, yes, there are moments of joy, there are moments of levity. Um, we have a fantastic cast uh, who are bringing these characters to life um, in in magical ways so so yes, there is joy in the show.
1: if you can hold on a moment, I want to talk in general in general, what job do I have in general about about the the beginnings of opening of the big institutional theaters to uh, playwrights of color. We just had uh, Vichet Chan in um, a few weeks ago to talk about Bald Sisters and and the need for these voices to be part of that art. So if, if you would in a moment speak to that, I'd really appreciate it. Can you hang on? Yes, absolutely. Great. Thank you so much. It's the Joan Esposito Show. I'm in for Joan. I'm Tori Ryder. This is WCPT Live, Local, and Progressive.
2: Chicago's Progressive Talk, WCPT 820, where facts matter. This
0: is Joan Esposito, Live, Local, and Progressive on WCPT 820.
1: Oh, so much fun to sit in for Joan Esposito. She'll be back Monday. Don't worry. This is Joan's show. I'm just sitting in for Joan Tourie with a U, writer like the truck, joined by the truly estimable playwright, Christina Anderson, who has a show opening at the Goodman on the 23rd. It's got a long title. Christina, thank you for holding on. It's got a really long title. Did uh, the ripple, of the wave that carried me home? Did anybody say to you while you were writing the show, uh, "Darling, that's a long title." <laughs>
7: Well, well, you know, I'm, I, you know, I, I'll say modestly, I'm a little known for my poetic titles, so uh, I guess I'm just staying true to my my, okay. to my body of work.
1: You yeah. do it, you do it. If that's what, if that's the way, I will just tell you that I had to write this title like I finally just copied it and pasted it on every to the producer yeah. the call screen. I'm like, <laughs> fine, I'll copy it, I'll paste it. Tell me if you would, if you would be willing. Um, I think a lot of the the theatrical organizations in Chicago. In fact, we just lost. A long time, house the Victory Gardens Theater, over a fracas about opening up the board and the the artistic director and uh, playwright series to people who had been underrepresented in in the in this art uh for a long time is that from where you sit you've been at this quite a while um is it getting easier is it getting better for people of color and underrepresented groups to get their work out there directed seen better worse nothing what what's your thought yeah well you
7: know i still i, I still think that there's a lot of work to be done um especially uh you know, with writers having access to audiences that their work is written for, um, uh, and and just kind of, um, just like reflecting, uh, you know, for the actors. To see people who look like them in the audiences, I think there's still a lot of work to be done for like reach out and development in that respect. Uh, you know, when I was coming up, uh, that the, there was something known as the black slot, um, and seasons would program their shows that would usually have white male writers, and then in Black History Month, the black slot they would have uh, a black play, um, a,
1: a black, so, our token black. This yes. is for the black people. Yes. We're going to put yes. this on for and the black, our yes. black audience. Love this! I can imagine. Yeah. Must have been god awful. And, and
7: you know, for for several years, it was August Wilson. You know, and rightly so. He's a fantastic writer. But like, you know, it's it. You know, when I was a young playwright coming up, like, you know, it's kind of hard to go up against August Wilson <laughs> one spot in a season. You know what I'm
1: saying? Yes. Well, um, the idea so. of opening up the space. So let me ask you something. As a as an inveterate theater goer, since I was like a little kid, that was all I ever wa- wanted. I I get it. Legit. My mom's from New York. And as my father once said, your mother would crawl on broken glass to the theater. Um, I did notice coming up that there would be really interesting black plays that were put on. And the whole audience would be white. I'm thinking of one called The Poison Tree that ran in downtown Chicago, which is historically a, a mixed uh, space. Are, is the theater still just perceived as a white space? Is that different anyplace? Is it not welcoming? What What's going on in terms of if you get a play up how does one make sure as you put it that that the people for whom it was written or from whom it was written feel good about coming to see it
7: yeah well well you know i am a strong believer that you know to cultivate an audience um is that you have to uh make them feel welcome across the season. So um, so even if it's not necessarily a play that's written by a black playwright, like I, as a black audience member, you know, um, still want to feel like I can go see, you know, Christmas Carol, or I can go see... No, um, no,
1: you can't go. Uh, no, it's yeah, not for you. Yeah,
7: yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, 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 you know, I think a lot of it has to do with um, making the space welcoming um, for a diverse group of folks, you know, um, and, and Encouraging them to, uh, you know, just make theater a part of their, um, just a part of their lives, you know, or or checking out the seasons at shows and stuff. Um, So that's what I think, you know. It's really about just making the space welcoming um, for folks, you know, because like sometimes, uh, like back in the day, if I would be a playwright who was having a reading or a workshop at the theater, Uh. if I rolled up in my hoodie, I would get stopped by security. Yeah. Um. You know, uh, and I'd be like, I'm actually a writer here. <laughs> Believe it or not, like yes. well, who are you? Yeah. yeah, and they would call up to you know oh. the and, and, you know yeah. So, um, so yeah, I really think it's about like welcoming um, like different types of folks into the space.
1: That's you know? interesting. That elemental because yeah. if you'd asked me as uh, from the outside, I would have said we need to start having more stuff in the schools, bringing kids to the spaces. Oh, yeah. Um, Absolutely. I think the Goodman does a great job. I'm sure you've met Willa. I think she, you know, with her educational I outreach, I, th- I think that they, you know, they're really making an effort, but it's slow going. I think that generations, as you point out with, with, in your play, I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, it, it takes a long time for the damage to be undone
7: hmm. Yes. So, yes, absolutely.
1: Well, I'm looking forward to seeing the show. Is there anything you want to add to the conversation about about the show that we haven't that you think we should know?
7: Yeah, well, you know, I um I just encourage folks to come and uh check it out. I think it's a really uh, you know, in my humble opinion, I think it's a really powerful evening of theater. I think it'll start conversations amongst the audience and uh and family members and friends. Uh so I just encourage people to come check out what we're doing.
1: And when you say that you um you hadn't known the political history of swimming in the black community, is that the thing that people are coming up to you and saying the most? I did not know or I had not known or what What are what is the one thing you're hearing the most from audiences about the show?
7: Well, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you know, a big part of the show too is a, is about family and family dynamic. And, um, and, and one of the things I wanted to implement in the show is that moment when we start to see our parents as human beings uh, or beyond our parents. So a lot of the conversations that people have are, yes, about swimming, but also um, how do you see your mother as a woman, um, not just your mother? Um, and, and And when do you have that moment? And Funnily enough, a lot of people after the show are like, I need to call my mom.
1: I'll be gent- that, that is, a, yeah. that's, boy, you did some good there. And I'm not even going to ask you because okay. we're out of time. Just quickly, what did okay. your mom say about the show?
7: Oh, um, well, you know, my mother has not been able to see it. It has a a run at KC
1: Rep in the spring. Uh, uh, Well, I hope it gets there soon, because if this is all about mothers, we want to make sure she's included. Thank you so much, Christina Anderson. I am so pleased that you you. could make time, and and I'll look forward to seeing your show. If you have not heard about it, The Ripple, The Wave That Carried Me Home opens at the Goodman on the 23rd. So we're going to do a quick Left turn, and we're going to be joined by Congresswoman Kelly, our very own. Um, I can't remember, is it the second district? Good grief! I'm terrible. Uh, Robin Kelly, who who was among those having popcorn in a great old time, watching the chaos unfold. It's a hashtag now. Kevin Chaos, uh, Congresswoman Kelly, welcome to WCPT. Thank you so much for making time to be with us. Um, Thank you're, you for having me. You're adjourned till ten. Is that right?
8: Yeah, we're adjourning till 10. Uh-huh.
1: Uh, and so um, <laughs> what's the conversation like in the hallway after vote 13 on Friday at 4:30 Washington time? What's the the mood? Yeah, the, what what are people saying? What are you guys uh, collapsing I, I in laughter it, right? or what?
8: No, no, no. We we're, we're not we're not laughing. This is a serious um Matter, And uh, I think it depends if you're a Democrat or Republican. And if you're a Republican, it depends if you're a former car you know, or not. I think, you know, we didn't want to adjourn and, because they're waiting for two of their members to come back. That's why they wanted to adjourn, because they're flying back in.
1: Ah, what what happened? Where were they?
8: Uh, just for personal, serious reasons, they had to leave. You know, no matter what, life goes on. Yes. And people had things that happened that they had to go back to their family. So, you know, people are coming back. And uh, so that's why they're having us wait. We don't want to wait, of course. But, I mean, there's a good possibility it might be over sometime between, uh, you know, by midnight tonight or 1. We'll see. It just depends on how strong uh, the, the 6, you know, hold. Hold
1: out in your legislative bones. Do you honestly think that that it's going to go on and on and on, or do you think that before the weekend hits or Saturday at some point that McCarthy will be speaker?
8: It could be over by one o'clock this morning on Saturday morning, one o'clock a.m.
1: Would you say if if optimistic, if pessimistic? What would you say? He
8: has a good chance. I think he has more than a 50 percent chance of it. I think he's going to ultimately be the speaker. But um, and I, I think it's going to it looks like it's going to be over. But it just depends on the six that um, stuck with voting against him.
1: So what are some of the concessions that you're hearing that he's made? I mean, we heard that he had dropped the number of um, people needed to call a vote on the speaker to what is it now? Four? What? Where is that number now? It's one. 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 Okay, so I've, I heard that, and I couldn't believe it. It was so insane.
8: I know. So we might be going back and forth with who's the speaker the next two years. Um, I don't have anything confirmed. Some things are, you know, they will be chair of committees. You know, they'll be put on rules committee, uh, just different things like that.
1: But we haven't heard that that much. That so can be confirmed. Nobody's leaking. In in my cynical self, there's part of me that says, you know, this would be a good time for moderate Republicans, if such things there be, to just leave the party and join the—it's been done. I mean, I watched a senator from Colorado change party after being elected. Why—is it possible that any of these people would just get disgusted and say, that's it, I'm changing. I'm going to be an independent. The heck with y'all.
8: You know, they don't even have to leave the party. But when it makes sense to vote with us, you know, um, that's what I think. Or even with some of these rules, they're not rules that are benefiting the moderate Republicans. They're rules benefiting the people voting against McCarthy. And there's enough of us and enough of them that could work together to make sure the rules make sense. But will they step up and do that? I don't get that impression.
1: Yeah, they're not a party that's known for risking much at all. Yeah. <laughs> they fall in line. They, they do. Line. This is I mean it's really weird. All those cartoons you saw with the 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 Road Runner and and Wile E. Coyote where he runs off that cliff and his legs keep moving for a few minutes before he realizes that there's nothing underneath. That <laughs> That's kind of how it looks right now to be watching the Republican Party. Like, you guys are going to, you're off the cliff now. Do you not see that there is nothing underneath? And they they don't seem to have.
8: Well, they're fighting each other. You know, that. that's one thing that has made me so proud that we have stayed united. And we have a big tent. And we have stayed united behind Hakeem Jeffries, which is well-deserved. Yes. He is.
1: Blended. He is stellar. He really is. And I, I was saying last hour, I spent an hour, I, I have to confess to you, Congresswoman, I spent an hour just mocking the whole clown car thing over there and enjoying myself because as you know, it's usually our party that's all over the place and and Nancy Pelosi if if nothing else, people are getting a fresh appreciation for for what she had to put up with and how she managed it. But considering, I'll put the question to you, that Kevin McCarthy's job is to organize his party, is that in any way possible for him now?
8: You know, I think the biggest thing for me is the pride and respect he has for himself. Like, you're, you just want to be speaker so bad. <laughs> you're just willing to... Do anything, that's what it you know seems like, and uh, um, no, I mean, some of those folks, they just don't like them. That's just the bottom line, you know, and uh, but we'll see it'll be I don't know what uh, the next two years will be to be honest with you, you know, but we, we're just going to keep our heads down and, and do the work. And hopefully we'll be saying Speaker Jeffries in two years.
1: That would be lovely. From your mouth, as my grandmother would say, to God's ear. I, you kind of wonder how these folks managed in the private sector if, as you as you rightly put it, they just don't like him. But as your mother and my mother probably said, you know, sweetheart, there are going to be plenty of people in this world that you have to work with that you don't like. Right. And you're just going to have to learn how to compromise and get along. What did they, I mean, do these people, have they never run into anyone before that they didn't complain? Completely agree with.
8: Well, I, I from what we have discussed, it's they don't like because they don't trust and they feel like they've been lied to, and uh, these are things that have been shared. So it's
1: what did he? You know, what did he specifically lie to them about? I mean, he was Trump's guy; they're Trump's minions. What, what did they? What did he maybe, do that they hate so much?
8: Maybe he made promises that he didn't come through with. Or maybe bills were supposed to be brought up that weren't brought up, or rules change, or amendments. I see. Or maybe he promised they could be on certain committees or things like that, and then he didn't come through.
1: Well, he should give a lot of hope to people who've had spinal injuries, because clearly it is possible to exist with no spine at all. So, (laughs) I'm... I don't even have words for what I what we're witnessing here. I thank you so much, Representative Congresswoman, for taking time. Thank you so much, and Happy New Year. And thank you. And by the way, if there is drinking going on amongst the Democrats, uh, hire an Uber or a Lyft and keep at it, because if I were going to be drinking, this would be the time. <laughs> this would be the moment, maybe champagne that would maybe that would maybe do it. I'm sorry, I can't yeah. send you some popcorn and champagne where you are. Thank you for doing the work that you do and Thank you so much we'll take speak care. again. That's Congresswoman Robin Kelly. She just gave us the breakdown of what what just happened. Do we need to take a break here, or can we move right along to? Okay, in a moment, if you made the New Year's resolution that you would pare down your stuff, but you're stuck with your stuff, you're paralyzed, you don't know what to do with all of your accumulated possessions, have I got somebody you should meet? It's the Joan Esposito Show. I'm Tory Ryder. Uh, phone number here for you to text, 773-763-9278. Uh, This is live, local, and progressive WCPT.
2: Listen to the Tom Hartman radio program every weekday from 11 to 2 right here on WCPT 820, where facts matter. Don't turn that dial.
6: A dangerous mistake to
0: make. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Returns right now on WCPT 820.
1: It is Jonas Esposito's show. I am Tori Ryder. In a moment, you're going to meet somebody who may actually help you change your life. I also want to let you know that we're getting a lot of texts about what I said about my particular differences with the most left-wing portion of my party. Uh, People say I'm using wrong language. People say I'm giving no evidence. We'll talk a little bit about that in the context of Kevin McCarthy and the most right wing of his party coming up in the four o'clock hour. Also, we'll be speaking a little bit about the January 6th memories that you may have. All of that on the way. And then at five o'clock, Patty Vasquez for two hours. It's the two Patty evening. We love that about it. Um, But right now, if you promised yourself that you would spend the new year in a more thoughtful environment, a place with less clutter, a place that felt more like it was your home and less like you were being imprisoned by all your worldly goods, this is someone you should meet. And full disclosure, she's someone who's close to me, a part of my extended family. Her name Gari Julius Wildbacker. She's a life coach and her specialty is decluttering people's spaces with her company, wildbrookcoaching.com. And she does this with an environmental view so that you feel like I'm just not filling up landfill when I do this work and with a thoughtful view about what's important to you and, and even spiritually important to you as you live in the world with your stuff. Gari, welcome to WCPT. Thanks for having me, Tori. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I'm glad to have you. So people come to you probably in droves at the new year, and what do they say?
9: Right. So it's the perfect day to have me on. I'm really excited about it because in January, specifically this weekend, people are going to start looking at all this stuff. It needs to be put away after the holidays, after vacation, after rest and relaxation. And coinciding with this thing that has to happen this weekend, you're seeing lots of ads for new sparkly containers to put it all in, to replace all the containers that you bought last year to put everything in. So the timing is perfect. The last reason the timing is perfect is that I'm starting an accountability group on Tuesday night. So ah. it's called Ignite the light.
1: Ah. Um, there's that. Oh, that's right. That is that is part of your philosophy is ignite, delight, compassionate, and green clutter control. I think it's interesting that you, you mentioned that there are all these ads for people to replace their old storage containers. It's been my experience that people just add to their storage containers. Um, do, you, do you find that people are actually able at the close of the holiday to get rid of anything? Well, I hope
9: that they do. I hope that each year brings them more ease and more discernment about what they want to keep. And that's, that's the service that I offer. And I'm really, it's decluttered to delight. I want you to delight and rest and refresh in your home. And it's compassionate and green clutter control. So it's compassionate because I know how hard it is. I know that you might not have gotten rid of stuff last year, but this year might be the year. So- and, and I give witness to people's lives. And then there's the environmental
1: piece. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, you. no, that's fine. I'll get to the environmental piece in a minute. But what are the, I'm sure that when people come to you, they're conflicted. On the one hand, they want to live in one of those light spaces that you see, okay. you know, on TV all the time. On the other hand, you know, my great aunt Matilda gave me this, and my kid made this macaroni necklace in kindergarten, and I, I can't get rid of any of it. And so I think most of us aren't hoarders. But we have trouble figuring out what we want to go into the next year with and, and what what is the criteria that will help people right. decide.
9: Right. So I have a deep dive on kid art. I have a deep dive on inherited items. But how to start is that I... Start really mindfully. There's a process of discernment. I don't come in and just say let's get rid of everything and I don't come in and say let's save everything. So we always start a, that, a session by saying what is the criteria? What is the most important? I have people with uncashed checks on their piled up on their desk for a year. Um, that would be important to me. What is the easiest? We live in a culture that says we have to beast everything. We have to do the hard stuff. I'm kind of like what if we do something easy? What's calling to you for no reason? What is something that you walk by every day
1: um, and this goes into my inherited items spiel. But what oh good, wait, 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 wait. I- stop, stop, stop. Talk yeah. don't you don't have to do the deep dive, but do a little shallow dive on the inherited spiel.
9: I'm going to tell a story that you're going to appreciate. Um, It's about my dad. He should rest in peace. He left. He left us 20 years ago, and I inherited. Evidently, he collected. I didn't know this. Elephants. And I got all of his elephants, and um, I had one that was larger, and it was hand thrown, and I put it on my dining room floor as if I had statuary. And every I don't have statuary, I don't have that kind of dining room floor. But every time I walk, would walk by it, I would look at that elephant, and I'd go. Oh. I hate that elephant. It's so ugly. And then I say, but it was daddy's, and I miss daddy and I love him, and he was wonderful, and he collected elephants. And oh, I hate that. So that's when I talk about the energy of things. I was repelled, but I felt guilty. So finally one day I realized I was being so mean to this elephant that someone hand threw. It was po- it was beautiful pottery and that it deserved to be loved by someone and if I packed it up and took it to the thrift shop, I could even envision what shelf it would be on. Someone was going to walk by and say I love that elephant. So I packed up all the elephants and I kept one. And the one that I kept is crystal. It sits on a box that has a light underneath it. And every Friday before I light my Sabbath candles, I turn that light on. I see the crystal elephant and I say, hi, dad. I love that
1: story. You know what? It's analogous to, and I think you're going to appreciate, I bet this happens. One of my girlfriends, one of my very favorite girlfriends, rented a storage area because her mother of blessed memory before she died said, all I want. You to promise me is that this stuff won't end up in some garage sale. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm sure you deal with people who get these deathbed, you know, promise me you'll take care of my collection of elephants. Promise me. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you're not in a position when somebody is leaving this mortal coil or they've said this to you all their lives to go, you know, Fingers crossed, didn't really mean it. So do you run into people who say, you know, I promised that I wouldn't, because this was the conversation, I had a similar conversation with my girlfriend to what you had with yourself. Um, She gave away to a caterer who was a friend of the family, a huge crystal cake stand. My girlfriend does not bake. My girlfriend is gluten intolerant. There's no reason on this earth for my girlfriend to have a giant crystal cake stand, right? So I... she gave this to the caterer and then she called me up. She said, we're just going to call this person Guinevere. Guinevere's left the catering business and I'm so worried she's going to give away my mother's crystal cake stand. And I said, hold, hold, hold up for a second. You know, in my house, how much of my stuff I got at thrift stores and you know how much I love finding the cool stuff at thrift stores. Imagine the joy that your mother's cake stand, if it's gone to a thrift store, imagine the joy of the person who sees it there and brings it home. But what do you say to people who say, I promised my great aunt Guinevere that I would never get rid of this collection of box turtle shells?
9: You know, um, that's the compassionate piece. I'm really giving witness to the experience and I spend time with everybody. I'm not just tossing, but I have even a, a deeper, more profound story that really, I was um, decluttering someone's office with them and all, it was a, it, there was tons and tons of stuff in paper everywhere. It was a lot of work. Um, I have to say, one of my main tenants is that I, I, I am not judgmental at all. If it sounds like I'm judgmental when I tell the story, it's just descriptive. But I really want people freed of their stuff. So I'm all in. I'm all in. But this woman had lots of stickies on her wall that said, breathe, be here now. And it's it's because she couldn't breathe because there was so much stuff. Anyway, I'm sitting at her desk and we're, we're working on the desk and I see her look to the bottom left next to her leg every single day. I see notebooks and I'm kind of intuitive and I said what's going on there what are those notebooks and she says they're my journals from a long long time ago I said they're making you very sad you're looking you're very sad when you look at them and she sighed and she said yes they're really hard and I said you don't have to keep them you know you don't have to keep them you are you are where you are now and she looked at me she said I don't Jesus so liberated and so, um, it was really a profound moment. There are many profound moments when I'm decluttering people. Um, it's not just this mechanical,
1: you know, move it out.
9: I also have rehomed really amazing things in amazing places.
1: Um, so wait, wait, hold that thought because I want to talk to you about rehoming stuff. Can you hang on? Yeah. All right. Yeah. You're listening to Gari Julius Weilbacker. She is the proprietress of um, Wild Brook Coaching. You can find her at wildbrookcoaching.com. Her specialty, decluttered delight, compassionate, and green clutter control. This is Joan Esposito's show. I am Tory Ryder. in for Joan on WCPT.
2: Because facts matter. You are listening to WCPT 820.
0: This is Joan Esposito. Live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820.
1: It is the new year. I am Turi Rider in for Joan Esposito. Live, local, progressive. And if you promised you'd make progress this year on decluttering your space or recycling more or... Just making a cleaner life for yourself, and I mean that in a general sense, without so much... Stuff taking your attention or time, uh, you are going to want to keep hearing from Gari Julius Weilbacker, who is a life coach specializing in decluttering uh, people's spaces with very sensitive eyes. As you've, if you just heard her, you know she's careful with your stuff. She's careful with your soul. Um, Gari, thanks for holding on. Um, I think it. I need to need to push up. Oh, we're cool. Lady B's on it. So you mentioned just before we we uh, paused the the concept of rehoming your things. Could you talk a little bit about resources for rehoming so that people, is my guess, instead of just putting something in a bin for for um, reuse, which can be fine, uh, rehoming may be a gentler way to go. Could you talk about that?
9: Sure. I'll give you some examples of some of the places I've taken things that have been really, really exciting. I did a whole home renovation with that one thing landfilled.
1: Wow. I, went
9: to, um, I know. Sons went to highest to welcome new immigrants, and um, that's a key place that is um, national, so that is a great resource and there are people who are picking up things all the time there i'm in the Philadelphia area I have great resources here in Philly. Um, if anyone needs it, you can find that on my website but there analogous to other big cities, I think. So yes. So HIAS is definitely one of them. Yes. We,
1: we we have, have I'll, I'll pause you for one second. We have a really interesting and innovative program here started by two guys who took, I think it was their Wharton MBAs, and they now have a warehouse where uh, people can place their furniture that they don't need. And then when these refugee organizations, uh, you mentioned HIAS, and there are several in Chicago, when they're setting up an apartment for somebody, they can just request what they want. So... Yes. Isn't that wonderful. Yes, oh. it feels good, doesn't so I it? I need that.
9: that. Yeah. yeah, I need that for my. Um, anyway, um, so I've got. I, one woman was getting rid of a lot of really cool things. I have a prop house I work with, so when she goes to the theater or the movies, she might see some of her things in the movies. Um, there's books behind bars, which I think is a national organization. Yes. Uh, we've get books in carts. There's Mighty Writers for kids, but there's also you can make. Um, someone is making a quilt from her old concert T-shirts. Um, I have a great story about an immigrant. Um, One of my clients is in her late 70s, early 80s. Her mother was an immigrant from the old country. And um, early on, when she started making a little bit of money, she bought the Scales of Justice because she was so excited to be in America with justice. Um, She bought these Scales of Justice. My client is in her late 80s. She didn't know what to do with them. And after just a little bit of work or a lot of bit of work, I found a home for them at the local ACLU in Philadelphia.
1: You really are worth your nickels there that people are. You that is impressive. That's Isn't really that great. How many phone calls did that take? It
9: wasn't a lot. It was, it was determination. Um, it was determination and it was this to that to that to this. And the head of the ACLU in Philly was thrilled. But last week, I just helped a woman who, um, husband died. She was recently widowed and she didn't know what to do with all of his medical equipment. And I ended up rehoming them to a local nursing school, Jefferson's nursing school for their training program. So there are ways of doing this that is not only I don't know if you have Green Drop, but these places that take uh, big quantities of things, they're not always so reliable. They're not always going to the end user. You do want to be careful of that if that is of value to you.
1: They now really have to good. say in Chicago, they have to label, I believe, whether it's a for-profit or a non nonprofit Dropbox. Um, because for a long time, people thought they were donating to a charity and really they were just providing goods for other people to sell. So I, I believe it's a city rule in Chicago, but I wouldn't swear to it that you do have to say if you're giving to a nonprofit or a for-profit donation site, you made me think of something really, I can, can I share a story? This is to your point about medical stuff. Two things. Uh-huh. Um, there are regularly groups going to underserved countries with doctors who, believe it or not, will take drugs with that you, you know, maybe your doctor changes your blood pressure medication and you just got wow. a three month prescription. So, yeah, that was one thing that I, I um, was able to donate to recently. And then medical supplies went, that stuff's expensive. And I was in charge of caring for a friend. Uh, and when he died, there were – he was an engineer, so he liked to have two of everything. He had two power wheelchairs and two showers. He had two of everything. And I was so grateful to find there were a group of uh, home health care nurses, and they were just setting up a nonprofit to provide things that Medicare didn't cover Um for people who needed them and they came with their truck and they loaded it all up and they took it to their storage area. And at a certain point, I mean, I wouldn't have cared if it was a nonprofit or not. I just cared that I trusted them, that it was going to go to people who needed it. Um, But you, you raise a good point, know where it's going. If that's important to you. Um, Now, what about let's circle back just with the few minutes that we have the, the, the trauma is that a good word that comes from facing what you've accumulated? what How would you describe that? And how do you reassure people that they're really gonna be all right without all this stuff?
9: Yeah, so there are two things there. One is the trauma of seeing it. I had someone call me, uh, text me that I knew from another another venue. Um, and she was having a yard sale the next day, and she texted me. She was really upset, and I, I didn't – the reason why she was upset was because she could not believe how much she had accumulated, ah. right? She was – it was the opposite of what I thought she was texting me about. So, you know, we're faced with the fact that we, we live in America. We are seduced into buying things, um, and even if we're seduced to shopping at thrift shops, right? We, yes, we're supposed to buy things, um, but I kind of flip it a little bit, and I get, again, from this very compassionate way. Most of my clients are super curious. They're super creative. Um, they collect wonderful things, and, and yes, they shop, and yes, they overdo it. So it's all of it, and so we really tease it all out. Half of the decluttering is... Moving things out in a way that when you know they're going to be reused, it feels really different. So that's why we don't trash. That's one of the reasons we don't trash stuff. Um, Mostly is that for environmental reasons. But then there's this human. So that's environmental sustainability. There's human sustainability that I'm very aware of. I want you to set up systems so it doesn't happen again, so you don't have to call me again. What can you do to organize your things so you don't buy duplicates? So you are satisfied with
1: what? you Oh, you mean people don't need three hard-boiled egg slicers? They don't. They don't need if they organize their yeah. drawer. They might not, just asking for somebody. No, don't for need. A three, for yeah, a for a friend, right? For a cousin. Yeah. Well, so, this. I mean, you know, things like that. So this is very. I, I think that you've given people a lot of reassurance as they head into the new year that it's basically there are people who can help you here and you, um and they can are, are there groups that people connect with that will support them as they undertake this? if if they can't find you directly? are there are there support groups for people who want to do this?
9: There are hoarding support groups I know in Philadelphia, and I don't I have one person on the hoarding spectrum. It's a whole different story. And that comes from Jewish Family and Children's service in Philly. But my support group, Ignite the Light, starts on Tuesday night.
1: Okay, we're going to give people the uh, URL one more time, and I thank you so much for giving of your time. You did not clutter up these airwaves at all, so I I appreciate you being with us. That's Gari Julius Wildbacker. She owns and is the proprietress of a website you can find to consult with her or to be referred by her to someplace else. It's called Wild Brook Coaching. It's got a .dot com after it, and um, if you go there, you can find out more about her what she does again full disclosure we have a relationship so not a business relationship I just want to make that clear in a few minutes we're going to talk about uh, January 6th and how you're looking at that on this January 6th and also I got a bunch of texts about what I said about AOC how dare I how could I so I guess I'm going to have to defend myself I guess I will because I read your texts, and you can send more of them, 773-763-9278. It's Joan Esposito show. She will be back on Monday. I'm Tori Ryder for Joan.
0: Your long drive home just got even easier. Driving it home with Patty Vasquez. Now weeknights from 5 to 7 p.m. on WCPT 820. We could talk about how complicated other banks make it to redeem credit card rewards. Or we could talk about how with Discover, you can redeem your rewards for cash in any amount at any time. Talk about amazing. Learn more at discover.com slash redeem rewards. Terms apply. Jonas Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820.
1: Five minutes after four o'clock on your drive home, a reminder that the woman who truly drives at home is Patty Vasquez. That happens an hour from now. She will be here for two hours. Double your Patty these days. Kind of a nice decision the station made, and we're glad, I'm glad, because sometimes it takes me a while to get places, and I can listen to her for longer, so that's nice. Um, We had several texts come in after... uh, after pointing after I pointed out, I'll take responsibility here, um, that Kevin McCarthy was dealing on his side of the aisle with the equivalent of what Nancy Pelosi had to deal with with the squad. And some people objected to my analogy of AOC and her, her buddies on the farther left of the party as puppies that needed to learn how to behave within the institution. And I pointed out that as an institution, every person there has a leash that runs directly from them to the Speaker of the House. Not just AOC, everybody. That is what it is to be the Speaker of the House. There's a a matter of control. And, And if you don't acknowledge that, like a puppy... You need to learn. So I didn't just come up with this out of thin air, and I'm not the only one who thinks this. If you think it's never been said before, I'd like to direct you to a piece in Politico that came out about a year ago. And it was interesting because they talked about how Nancy Pelosi managed this rambunctious group of left Congress people who came to the House just determined to throw it all over, including Nancy Pelosi, and she had to find a way to make it work. By the way, in case you can't tell, I love Nancy Pelosi. Just love, 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 love her. Uh, She's not perfect. Nobody's perfect. But overall, she gets the job done. I don't know if Kevin McCarthy, now heading for, what, the 13th vote at 10 o'clock tonight, 14th vote. I've lost count. will be able to do anything, seeing as all it will take is one vote for the House to rebel and unseat him. And as Representative Kelly, who was kind enough to give us her time about a half an hour ago, said, our Illinois Congresswoman, um, as she said, all it will take is one person. We could have Speaker of the Week. But let me go back to this AOC thing. Uh, A few weeks after the squad arrived in Washington... Pelosi described what her message was going to be. And I love this quote. I say to them, as advocates, outsiders, it is our nature to be relentless, persistent, and dissatisfied. But that's not enough. Once you're elected, she went on, quote, when you come in, cross that door, take that oath. You have to be oriented toward results. Have confidence in what you believe in. Have humility to listen to somebody else because you're not a one-person show. This is the Congress of the United States. Do you think Kevin McCarthy could possibly have made a speech like that? I do not think so. Someone texted to me, give an example of where you think AOC was out of line. Immigration. She represents a district with a whole lot of immigrants. And I, I'm paraphrasing here, but her approach was let them all in. And whether that's the right view or the wrong view, a workable view or a not workable view for her in her district, for other people running for office in other districts, it's not workable. They can't run on that and win, and they can't live in a district where that's the practice. That does not work. Um, and AOC went after Pelosi on Twitter. She went after Pelosi by name before she came to the to the House, and after. And uh, her chief of staff posted a series of tweets saying AOC was better at leading than Pelosi and accused the Democrat leaders of Democratic leaders of being unwilling to fight for their principles. And this also had to do with when they first came to office and wanted impeachment straight out of the box. And then Pelosi's staff went on to take swings at the Blue Dogs, a group of moderate Democrats They were accused of being segregationists. They were accused of being racist. None of this gets the job done for the Democrats. Here's how Pelosi responded. After all this tweeting that AOC and her staff did, she said, So you got a complaint? You come and talk to me about it. But do not tweet about our members and expect us to think that that is just okay. Some of you are here to make a beautiful pate. But we're making sausage most of the time. I think she was pretty clear-headed about what you could do and how you could do it. So I return to my point. All, as they say where I come from, all y'all who texted me and said I had no beef with AOC and quote the squad. I'm I'm telling you they they were to Nancy Pelosi what the Lauren Boberts and the rest of their nuttiness. Weirdly, Marjorie Taylor Greene has been supporting McCarthy from the beginning, go figure. But these six people who just, they've got nothing else to say for themselves, except that they don't like Kevin McCarthy, who I don't like Kevin McCarthy either, let's be clear. But they're supposed to be on his team. And that's what I mean when I say AOC and her group that came in with her needed to understand that this is the Congress of the United States. And if you don't just want to jump up and down making noise, if you actually want to get something done for the voters of your district, you can't screw over the voters of every other district. It doesn't work like that. So let's go to the phones here. Also, before I do that, it is, of course, as you know, January 6th. And I remember clearly where I was when the rioting began, was on my way to this general neighborhood to fight a traffic ticket, which I lost at one of those shopping mall courts. I hope you've never seen one. I hope you never see one. Uh, But I remember distinctly Kevin McCarthy being interviewed on a network news station, and he sounded scared. He was really condemnatory. Is that a word of the rioters? He called them rioters. He wasn't pussyfooting around. He was really clear. That all rolled back in light of the events that followed. But if you remember where you were on January 6th, and if you remember how it felt to watch the mayhem or hear the mayhem on your phone, on your radio, on your computer. I would be curious to know about your feelings as you remember them today. 773-763-WCPT, live, local, progressive. Let's go to George on the south side. Hi, George. Welcome.
6: Thank you. Um, There's something that's got me really angry this afternoon, but I guess we shouldn't be surprised by all the depredations that Republicans have committed over the recent past from Trump on down.
1: What specifically what is saying? is bothering you right now?
6: Well, as you alluded to, it's an important anniversary in the history of our country, and today the heroes of that day were being honored at the White House presentation of medals. And yet the self-involved, self-centered Self-absorbed Republicans, especially McCarthy, who you just right righteously criticized, couldn't suspend their stupid, useless voting for a couple of hours and just stand aside quietly so that the focus and the spotlight could be entirely on those who gave everything they had to give to defend the heart and soul of our democracy.
1: Well that doesn't serve them George. They'd like to pretend it was tourists or no big deal or just a bunch of people exercising their constitutional right to free speech. What you think is a riot and a travesty and a and a horrible risk of life and a taking of life and limb and a complete I don't even have the words to how it views our law enforcement community. I They don't see it that way, or at least not publicly. I'm not sure what they say to their kids at the dinner table, but in public, they're pretending this was nothing.
6: And all of us are paying a price for that because regardless of what they think or feel, it isn't the truth, it isn't factual, and the more that they worship lies, the worse it's going to be for all of us. These people are malleable and... I, they must be very fear, or, fear-oriented, because a lot of Democrats say when they talk privately with their colleagues from the other side of the aisle that they admit, yeah, this is BS. Our public uh, face is wrong, and we know what the truth is. But democracy doesn't survive and prosper with weak, need cowards like that, dishonest people like that. Uh, you know, where's the courage on the Republican side anymore? It isn't there.
1: Well, all I can say is I I never thought that I would want to clone Liz Cheney's all over the place. But if I were the ruler of the universe with a big magic wand, I'd be cloning Liz Cheney's right and left so that they could get their party back. I had no objection to the Republican Party as a Republican Party. I didn't agree with much of what it did. But these were ethical people. They played by the rules. It's Donald Trump. That's really what it is. Start to finish. This is the work of one man and a bunch of people who really were afraid and angry that that's how it operates. A bunch of people who saw that the world was changing and it was going to change for them. And they were scared and they were angry. And I know right now, a couple of my friends who went right down that rabbit hole are probably throwing their radios out their dining room windows. How dare you say I'm frightened? How dare you say I'm angry? And I'm like, when they do that, my response is, you just threw your radio through your dining room window. What does that say about you? I thank you for calling George. good, good of you to spend time. We um, We do have space on the phone for you, but let's go back to some of the texts that came in. Um, I think I've skipped over a whole bunch of people. Uh, people do want to know um, when Joan's coming back. If I haven't said enough, I, I want to say it again. She's back Monday, so that is the plan. Um, let's see. Somebody asked how I stand on Medicare for all. Would it make you feel better to say that that's what I think of single payer? Let everybody have it and then make it better. There's my answer for that text. Uh, Let's see here. Your, Your casual slanders of AOC. Well, I think we've taken care of that. I don't think I'm slandering AOC. I just think she lacks uh, experience and discipline. Maybe she has some more of it now. Let's go to, I'm going through through all of your texts as quickly as I can. Where's Joan? Back Monday. Thank you for asking. Um, here. Oh. Thank you. Someone who, whoa, it took me, what, three hours? Um, I agree with you, Turi. The far left is too often the obstacle to actual progress, and they often vote with the GOP. I, You know, you've said something very interesting. I don't know that the far left often votes with the GOP, but on areas, there, there's an area where the right has come so far around, especially on international issues, International politics and the left has come so far around that they've actually met. If if you imagine politics as a clock face and everybody starts at high noon, they've come around to six o'clock and they've met down there. That's where they have this whole we're not giving money or we're not giving money to these people or we're not giving money to that country or, you know, that that stuff is happening on the extreme right and the extreme left. So, yes, to that text. Thank you for that. Uh, let's go to. Oh, come on, WCBT. Is this the best you have to offer listeners? I'm sorry to disappoint you, but today, right now, yes, it is. <laughs> um, we need more voices like AOC. Um, but the same person texting. Who, all, who, you know, who said this was not the best, they still hung in there. Bless their hearts. This is not the work of one man. Trump had a lot of help. What are you talking about? Are you willfully obtuse? No, it was Trump. I'll tell you why it was Trump. Trump, because you listen to this radio station, you may not spend a lot of time watching crappy TV, but a lot of America does. And a lot of America assumes that if you're a big TV star, you know something. And so all that horsewash of The Apprentice, which was all smoke and mirrors, and as somebody who works in media, I can tell you what gets ratings, has very little to do with the truth, has very little to do with the facts. But those people believed that he was a hugely successful businessman, which he was not, that he was smarter than the average business person, which he was not, I'm not sure whether they believed he was ethical, but I think he managed to convince them that ethics didn't matter if you won, if you got your way. I was stunned at the number of people who worked in the trades who supported him, even though he gloated over the fact that he didn't pay his tradespeople. And he said if he could trick people and steal from people and get away with it, that just made him smart. So... I don't really blame the followers in this case. I blame their leader. That's what it is to be a leader. You take the blame. It's Joan Esposito's show. I'm Tory Writer In for Joan, who is back Monday. Live, local, and progressive. This is WCPT.
2: WCPT 820, Chicago's progressive talk, where facts matter.
0: This is Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820.
1: It's Joan Esposito's show, and I'm Tory Ryder in for Joan, who comes back Monday. In a few minutes, it was just irresistible, the Congressman George Santos, he of the, quote, um, embellished resume, too irresistible to let that go. So in a few minutes, we're going to talk with an expert about... Not just any expert, a published medical doctor expert about how to deal with people who just cannot seem to tell the truth. She'll be joining us in a few more of your texts. I wanted some of your memories from January 6th. I remember actually sitting in my car in the parking lot waiting to go in and fight this traffic ticket. And actually, I almost I, I, I may have actually cried. I was I was aghast and I was horrified and you probably remember if you listened in real time, feeling like this cannot be happening here. And at the same time, thinking this is th- this, because you're listening to this radio station, this is what at some deep level you knew would happen. Thanks for the text. Politics is messy. We have to learn GOP is about power, not people. I'm not sure what to do with this. Why not pass a bill in the Senate that cuts off federal road money to any state shipping asylum seekers to other states? I think we need a more sophisticated solution than that. I was reading Crane's Chicago Business this week. And I I think, let me just interject, I think what's going to have to happen concerning our immigration policy is incremental changes. I don't think there's a magic wand you can wave that's going to fix all of this. But it was interesting to see somebody writing on a business perspective from this. And using Canada as an example, in Canada, they accept refugees and the provinces declare or ask, or I'm not sure what the term for it was, they they state who they, who they would most be able to place in their province. So if you want to work in agriculture, you have a better chance of finding refuge in Canada if you're willing to go to Alberta, where they state plainly that that's who they need. Toronto is different. They tell the Bureau of Immigration in Canada who they want. And this writer in Chicago suggested we do something like that here in the States. It's not a fix, but it's another idea. And I think most people could agree. That's a great idea. You need workers in a certain sector. Those are the people you ask for. And when they come to the border, if that's their stated occupation, then that's where they go. So, uh, let's get some more of these texts in. And I haven't heard from many of you with your January 6th memories. This one to Gary Julius Weilbacher. Avid thrift store shopper. Love to see others enjoy your treasures. Yes, it is a good feeling when, you, when you're when you trying to be green and environmental and move through the world a little lighter. little lighter footprint. I can't say footprint either. That's two words today I seem to be incapable of saying. Um, also... This the sorry state of the conservatives is not just the work of Trump. It's much to do with the concentrated work of hard right super rich and huge corporations buying the majority of the conservatives. The conservatives in turn do the bidding of their masters. They said and did. They said and did everything to play into the ignorance, racism, and fears of the MAGA Trump. Yeah, you know what? I think in the in the macro that may be true, but I want to say that in the micro. No matter how much money they spend, it's people going to the polls and voting that brought that guy into office. And the corporations wouldn't touch him for a long time. He was not their guy. He was truly a populist president. The corporations thought he would bring chaos, and he did. And they did just about anything they could think of to keep him from getting the nomination. But the Trumpanistas, the people who felt that their voices had been ignored, the people who were dealing with fear that their livelihoods were changing, the population was changing, the languages they heard around them were changing. Things were changing and they didn't like it. They went to the polls. And afterwards, corporations will figure out a way to take advantage of anything. That's their job. Water's toxic. They figure out how to make some kind of metal solvent factory on the shore of whatever toxic lake they've crea- created. I'm, You know, you take my point. They work with what they've got. That's their creativity. They took the mess that was Trump and the one thing they could get out of him, two things. They could get two things out of him. Corporate-friendly judges, environmentally unfriendly judges, and tax breaks. So the conservative corporations, the big intellectual conservatives, they held their noses, but they, figure out, they figured out what they could get from him, and they did. In a moment, if you've been following the case of congressperson George Santos of New York, who appears to be – he's a sock puppet. He just doesn't appear to be anything there. The ornament on top of your Christmas tree, if you had one, has more substance – than this man who just got elected from Queens and Long Island. And what you do with someone who lies like that is a mystery to me, but we're going to meet somebody who has some ideas about how to handle that in just a moment. Joan Esposito's show, live, local, and progressive, WCPT. Information is power.
5: Stay informed to know what's going on. Staying informed gives me the power of knowledge.
1: I wake up. need to know what happened. I turn on the
0: radio. Because information is power. WCPT 820, where facts matter. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820.
1: 433, just about a half an hour from Patty Vasquez, who's going to drive you home. It's Joan Esposito's show. I'm Tory Ryder for Joan, who's back Monday. A Couple of texts about people's memories of January 6th. I was frightened, angry, disgusted, especially with the lack of response from the Trump administration. Could say that twice and mean it, as they said where I grew up. So on the other side of the aisle from us, from the Democrats, where the Republicans live, there's somebody who is waiting to be sworn in. A guy named George Santos, Congressman-elect from Queens and Long Island, and apparently he is—he's a straw man. He is made, nobody knows what's real about him, but he's been caught in a variety of lies. He lied about his parentage, he lied about where he went to university and college, he lied about having gone to university and college, he lied about property he said he owned he didn't own, he I, I, you can't even, it's like, how did he lie to the let me count the ways? It's really difficult to know where to begin to deal with somebody who lies like this, but he said he was going to vote for Kevin McCarthy for Speaker of the House, so that's okay with Kevin. I was looking to talk to somebody who has experience in dealing with people who cannot seem to tell the truth and who came to mind because I've, I've seen things. I've heard her on uh, radio stations before. She did a thing on KFI where I used to work. Dr. Judith Orloff is the author of The Empath's Survival Guide, Life Strategies for Sensitive People. And she has some experience of how to handle people who have difficulty telling the truth. Welcome, Dr. Orloff. Thanks for joining us on CPT, WCPT today.
10: You're, you're very welcome.
1: Um, can you explain a little bit how, when people come to you to talk about um, liars around them, how is that affecting them when they, when they come to you and need help with this?
10: Uh, Well, lying is a really toxic behavior, and it can destroy a relationship. So in an interpersonal relationship, it has to be addressed. And the the problem is, now, because I deal with empaths and empathy, that's what I specialize in, Um, I also specialize in empathy-deficient disorders, which include narcissism and sociopaths. And sociopaths and narcissists are great liars. And they don't have a conscience that's what regular people can't get they don't have a conscience they don't have the heart as we know it and so they don't really care about a lot of things you might care about as an empathic person and that's what's so hard for empaths who are sensitive and loving and giving to get because they feel if they could be around somebody and they're lying if they could change them with their love and it just doesn't work that way because they're not neurologically wired to have empathy or have the kind of conscience that's necessary to tell the truth. Thus, they can create these resumes that are fake. You know, they can say whatever they want to say, and they don't really care. And that's really important for non sociopaths and non narcissists to get. Regular people, everyone is listening. Who has heart, who cares about other people. You have empathy. Your heart goes out to people. You care if you lie or not. And you care if someone lies to you.
1: Yes. As
10: opposed to ignoring it.
1: You also care, I suppose, and maybe I'm just guessing here, but you'll tell me if I'm right or I'm wrong. You care about your reputation also, yes?
10: Absolutely. You care about your reputation, but with sociopaths especially, they feel like they can get away with anything. Because the way they operate is they love bomb people and they just make, you know, their co-workers or team members or, you know, other people in corporations. They make them feel so loved and appreciated that they're built up and then they lie.
8: Huh?
10: So they don't just lie on the first meeting. They build you up to lie.
1: So I'm just going to use George Santos as an example here. One of the things that was really striking in reading his um a method of operation, if you will, he had a friend well that's the first thing that is boggling. he had a friend, but I guess that would have happened as as you point out that they can make friends for their purpose when they want to, but this friend lent him five thousand dollars to move into an apartment um George Santos and I believe his husband at the time they needed an apartment, and this guy lent him five thousand dollars and then uh Santos promptly ghosted him. And I can say that without allegedly because a judge agreed and a judge in New York where this poor guy had to come to try and get his money back um, agreed that he was owed this money that Santos had lied and stolen from him. And yet, of course, the money was never returned because leading to something else you just said, if you if you really are a, a, a compulsive liar or a sociopath or a narcissist, even if a judge says you have to pay for something. You don't believe you have to play by those rules either, correct?
10: Correct. You don't have to play by any rules except for your own. And so that's why so many sociopaths end up in prison because, you know, the law comes in eventually and they get imprisoned for their crimes and they could do terrible damage. But before you get to that point in a in a government or a work setting that ignores lying, that makes it almost impossible to enact consequences
1: on the liar. So do these folks typically find places? I'm trying not to make the obvious congressional liar joke here because it's just too easy. Um, and, and besides, I think there are a lot of Congress people who really do tell the truth most of the time, despite political reputation being the opposite of that. Um, but but do, do folks who find it easy to lie, find no problem lying, do they tend to gravitate to certain kinds of occupations?
10: Um, They do. They like um, the power play. They like power. So they go into politics. They go into being a CEO. They go into running a company, something that will feed their power. They have a hole in them that needs to be fed their ego, their self-esteem. Everything needs to be fed constantly. And they love having power, narcissists and sociopaths. I write about this in the Empath Survival Guide. There's a whole chapter on narcissists and sociopaths. They operate out of power. What do they get out of lying? Yes, what? Get out of acting like this? It's a sense of power. It's not love. They don't get love from people. Nobody loves them. They just, you know, try and get on their good
1: side. That's so interesting, because this guy, according to what I've read, he was once married to a woman. Now he's married to a guy. Who marries these people?
10: What do you mean? Who oh, oh, who marries these people? Yeah. Um, a lot of empaths marry these people. Empath, uh, ten, I'm an empath, so that's why I have such an interest in in what relationships we choose and who to how to protect ourselves from people like this. But empaths tend to feel that they can help everyone and they can love everyone into wellness. And so the guy or the the woman that they marry might love bomb them and might make them think of you know, think they're the best thing ever. And so they might reel them in and then once they're married, you know, then their true colors come out. There's a variety of things that can happen, but they essentially present a false front in the beginning and can be quite likable and make you feel special. And if you're prone to being seduced, they know how to seduce you and tell you exactly what you need to hear. So they kind of prime the way, these narcissists, sociopath liars, prime the way to hook you in and then,
1: you know, so Everything you're you're describing the career here of Congressman Santos, right? He reeled in all these voters. And to be fair, it was a little paper on Long Island. I think it's called like the North Shore something. I forget. But it was a little paper that first started jumping up and down going, this guy's not what he seems. But the whole Republican voting base and, and independence of Queens and Long Island thought – that can't be right. And there were actually, I heard the publisher of the paper interview the editor of the paper. He said there were Republicans telling me, "Stop, stop telling the truth about this guy. Just, just stop it." Um, yeah. And and I guess when you blow the whistle on what you're describing, these sociopaths or narcissists, if you're the first one in the company or the first one in the block club to notice that the person isn't who he or she seems to be, then the wrath turns on you. Correct. Yeah, yeah, it can, but thank God
10: for the grassroots publications to get the truth out. Yes. I just am such a supporter of small papers everywhere, you know, and especially the reporter who broke that story, or any story. No, it... it, (laughs) It gets into a, a much larger issue of people concealing the truth and not interested in, in lies if it can if they can be promoted in some way. And so because the problem has gotten so out of hand, let's say, in the government, very specific instances need to be codified, like what happens if somebody um, puts in a false resume? Now in, in any company, they would be fired. Now, nobody... <laughs> keep them on as an employee. And so there ne- it needs to be codified that if somebody runs for an office, they have to have an honest.
1: Um, C V. Well, it may be that our one resource for firing this guy because Kevin McCarthy likes him and needs him uh is is um the legal system because there are actually laws about lying on your financial disclosures and nobody seems to know where this seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars salary that he paid himself came from. Um And I think they probably canceled that account in Brazil with the checkbook that he allegedly stole. So I'm guessing it didn't come, you know, over the border, but. I don't know. What I would like to ask you, if you can hang on just for a second, because you're really opening this up and explaining this in a way that I think we didn't understand before, is whether narcissists and sociopaths are made or born. And I'd love your take on that in just a moment. It's Joan Esposito's show, quarter to five, Patty Vasquez on at five, Joan Back Monday. I think I think I've given you the whole schedule. WCPT, where uh, we are live and local and progressive.
2: This is WCPT eight twenty, where facts matter. Attention, everyone!
0: Don't turn that dial. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive, returns right now on WCPT
1: eight twenty. Well, since we're not into lying, I have to say Joan returns Monday, Monday. And I also want to thank Julia Shue, who helped us uh, book this show today. And if you are particularly glad that you got to hear from Uh, Illinois Congresswoman Robin Kelly, you can thank Julia and all the great work she does. Lady B also thanks, and Matt Cummings, who invites me now and then to come and keep Joan's chair warm. With us is Dr. Judith Orloff. She is a psychiatrist. She is an author. Uh, She wrote The Empath's Survival Guide, Life Strategies for Sensitive People, and if you are starting to understand Congressman-elect George Santos' personality in a different way. Pick up that book. She's got lots of wisdom to offer. Dr. Orloff, I wanted to ask you about whether narcissists and sociopaths are made or born.
10: Uh, Well, the answer is both, but uh, most of them are born. That's what the thinking is, that there might be a genetic predisposition towards narcissism. Though so modeling, parental modeling plays a role. If you have a father who's a narcissist and you want to be like your dad, you can take on some of those traits. And it's really destructive when you have narcissistic parenting and it can take years of therapy to begin to heal from that. Um, but sometimes, you know, they're just born. They come out of the womb narcissistic, and it's very hard to treat narcissists in psychotherapy. Like, I, I probably won't do it most of the time because they can't be accountable for their part. For instance, they'll never say, I lied to my partner, and I'm sorry. Unless, of course, there's an ulterior motive, then you know if, if they get something from that, they'll say it. But they, you know, it's not unconditional empathy. It's, you don't get real apologies, because they don't feel they did anything wrong.
1: (laughs) Are they starting to, is there any kind of physiology that is starting to show that there's something in the brains of people, like I would say Congressman Santos, but you could say anybody that you've diagnosed as a narcissist or a sociopath. Is there any kind of brain mapping now that we're really starting to understand what goes on in the brain that shows that something's wrong, something's broken, something's off, anything?
10: Uh, not as far as current research is concerned, but they keep researching and they keep doing the, the genetic research is the most important research where they've had the clearest findings where we've huh. passed down. But is there something you could point to and say, his brain is defective? Look at this. You know, not, not quite yet. Okay. So- you know, I just want to say to people, if you have a liar in your
1: life, Believe them that they lied to you. <laughs> you that's to genius. Out. That is okay. such genius. If you have a liar in your life, believe them. That is perfect. I think that's going to end up on lots of our uh, listeners' refrigerators. I think, <laughs> especially anyone who's, who's dating at the moment. And, and yeah. I was always told, you know, when someone tells you who they are, you should believe them. So um, but I want to ask you, there was a talk show host I worked with. She's famous, so I won't name her. But she told a story one day on the air um, and it, it rattled me completely because it was horrible and also effective. Because it presumed that the person, now that I hear you speak, I guess the presumption is that the child she was trying to teach that lying is wrong had some empathy. I don't suppose it would have worked if the child did not. But, you know, children will, will lie sometimes because, well, you say, why do children lie? Go ahead. Tell everybody.
10: Well, you know, if they're not narcissists or sociopaths at a young age, they might lie to protect their brother or sister or lie to protect their alcoholic mother, you know, so that she isn't shamed by her alcoholism. So the the intention of lying is to protect somebody. It has an empathic intention.
1: Ah. As
10: opposed to random lying, anything that serves me, I'm going to lie about. I'm going to lie about my age. I'm going to lie about my profession because it serves me. I want to get this position, so why not lie? But
1: But not everybody who lies to serve themselves is necessarily a sociopath or a narcissist. They might, you know okay, I have to confess this. I'm going to have to confess this every show I do here. When I started in radio, I made up a resume. I went into the Skokie Public Library, got the book of tiny radio stations in towns that nobody would ever look up. And I made up the resume because nobody would hire me without experience. Then every time I got a job, I took off a a fake radio station. And finally, it was all real. Somebody interviewed me and said, how'd you get started? I told him he didn't hire me. So, so, but, but, I mean, there are times where you, you know, I actually told somebody implying for an internship who said, I have no experience. And I said, make some up so I can hire you. Um, but, This person, back to the talk show host, um, I think people do sometimes lie. In my experience, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong, because they're afraid of the consequences of telling the truth. Um, They might prefer to tell the truth, but little kids, especially, they they can be really afraid of what will happen if they tell the truth. You know, who broke this? Who, you know, who used it? And I, I think that especially kids who get physical punishment are sometimes afraid of lying.
10: This... oh that's so true that any traumatized kids are afraid of telling the truth they're lying and the world isn't a safe place and there's so many people who recognize a lie you know in our in our world stage you know they recognize the lie but they are passive you know it's just a, a theme among some governors you know, governing the governing bodies that they're just passive they don't they keep their mouths
1: shut. Right. Well, the Republican Party. But you don't have to agree with me there. Um, <laughs> you don't have to agree with me. You're you're here to be – you can be politically neutral. Um, I want to um, say that you've just taught me something when you say that people lie to protect somebody else because that's another reason that um, children might lie. If they break their mother's favorite coffee mug, they're afraid she'll be – hurt or upset or shall cry if she finds out that her favorite mug is broken so back to this talk show host um, she was explaining that she needed to teach her son not to lie because he had told some lies so she said to him, after school today, we're going to go to McDonald's, which he loved. And she built it up and what kind of toy and how, you know, when they would go right after school. They'd go through the drive through He should be ready. And then uh, after school, she just drove in the direction of their home. And he said to her, this is her telling the story on the air and me listening. He said to her, but, but mom, didn't you, you know, we're supposed to go to McDonald's. And she said, were we? I lied. Uh-huh. And I thought, I thought, that's a really harsh way of teaching a kid what lying will do. Do you recommend this?
10: Well, you know, you have to build up to something like that. I don't know what her past history is with this child you know, or how much she's tried. But sometimes parents, you have to have empathy for them. They get really desperate. They don't know what to do they don't and they they don't seek out the right help so out of desperation they try a million things like i've had patients that bribe their kids to do their homework which has been proven not to work you know so if (laughs) i have a lot of i'd have to know more about what led her up to that breaking point of of so blunt an approach
1: you would consider it so if george Santos' mother had had tried this on a narcissist or a sociopath, it wouldn't have worked anyway, would it?
10: Um, when you say it wouldn't have worked, George Santos's mother couldn't have gotten him not to lie because he was most likely indoctrinated to think that lying was okay. <laughs>
1: So do you, is it always the parents then, or can you can you have a sociopath or a narcissist that you give birth to and raise, and you're an empath, and it just happens? Is that possible?
10: Absolutely. And I address that in the book. I have, I have a, an empath group on Facebook with over 21,000 members, and they talk about problems like this. What do I do if my son or daughter is a narcissist? They're breaking my heart. I don't know how to reach them. And they keep getting hurt over and over again. But the thing is, if, if you're an empathic parent raising a narcissist, you have more control over guiding them.
1: What can and, you do in, in a nutshell? What, what are some things you can do?
10: set clear boundaries, be a role model, have consequences if they lie, not necessarily what the talk show host did, but to build build up and to be able to see if they're able to change their behavior and also get in the habit of making amends. Whenever you teach children or adults, they need to know that if they lie, if they make a mistake, if they're sorry, they can make an amends to the person. Ah. I'm sorry that I lied to you. No, i was just feeling so insecure i'm sorry and i just want to say that so that can go a long ways with people they might not accept your amends depending on the lies now this is a precept of 12-step programs it's learning how to make amends for all the damage that you wreaked in other people's lives from alcoholism and drug addiction
1: i feel like i should Make a copy of this half hour and send it to Congressman George Santos, and maybe he'll be able to listen to it in jail when when, when it all finally comes down on him. And by the way, I'm, I'm also not too sure about Sam Bankman Freed, who seems to think that if he just puts on a good face and is smart enough that he can get away with it. My My vote is still out on him, but... Uh, It's certainly been helpful to speak with you and hear your thoughts on lying and what's behind it. I really appreciate your time. Oh, you're very welcome. It was fun. It was fun to have you. You just heard from Dr. Judith Orloff. She is a psychiatrist and the author of the Empath Survival Guide, Life Strategies for Sensitive People. And if that helps you understand, Congressman-elect George, what is he if he's not sworn in? Is he an elect? Is he a congressman? Thanks to Kevin McCarthy. Nobody knows. We will be back. Uh, I know for sure I'm coming in on the day of the big mayoral debate. And thanks, Jonas Esposito, for letting me keep your chair warm. She'll be back Monday. Patty Vasquez is in next. It's just about 4.58 on WCPT. We are live local and progressive.